Good morning, Old South Church. And I want to thank the choir for singing one of my best songs. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, nevertheless, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. This morning, we're going to tend to remembering our ancestors. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If the Atlantic were to dry up, it would reveal a scattered pathway of human bones, African bones, marking the various roots of the Middle Passage. Quote, this morning, Middle Passage Sunday, in the season of racial reckoning, and particularly at this moment, when the history of African-American people which has been written in tears and sorrow, is being distorted and denied. At this very moment, when we're dealing with yet another crime of hate and white supremacy, when a man goes into a dollar store where people are shopping and going about their daily chores and get moored down. We come at this very moment when 60 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King stood up on the national stage and talked about having a dream, having a dream of equality, having a dream of love, having a dream of something very different. So we come at this moment right now to pause in this sacred hour to remember, to name, to honor those early members of those, this church who were here in the, the 1600s and the 1700s, who arrived via the Middle Passage, who survived the ordeal and their descendants, and those who, by virtue of their membership in this church, are family. Hello. <laughs> family to you and I. They're our great-great-grandparents. They are our, our great grandmothers. They are our aunties and aunties. You ask why? Because no matter the color of the skin in which we are wrapped, these are our ancestors, yours and mine. And for this church in the 1600s and the 1700s, the waters of baptism were thick. Waters that bound this congregation together as a family, whether slave or free, male or female, bound together by God's law. And yet, and yet denied the full rights and privileges of church membership. Emily Ross, our archivist, has done a fabulous job of unearthing information about our voiceless ancestors, and yet we still don't know a lot about these members. For example, from where in Africa were they stolen? On what day, at what time, at what time of the year 
Were they kidnapped from their homeland and snatched? We don't even know what age Mingo was when he was ripped from his family. We don't know his village. His con we know his continent, but we know that he was manhandled into the hole of a slave ship, never again to know freedom. We don't know the real name of Dorcas, the one given to her by her family of origin, or whether or not she had sisters and brothers that she loved to play with. We don't know if there were any other children in her family. We don't know if that family unit was able to stay together. They were all stolen away, never heard from or seen from before again. We don't know if Scipio was the chief of his village, a regal king. We don't know if he left behind an extended family. Our very own patron saint, who is, who is that? This is the test, are you listening? <laughs> Phyllis Wheatley, yes. Phyllis Wheatley is given that name Phyllis by her enslavers. But what was her name that her mama and her daddy when they looked at their new baby girl, what did they call her? But we do know this, that each and every one of them suffered confinement, chains, the cold, the sweltering heat, profound grief, and untold indignities. We know that they were terrorized, brutalized, and dehumanized. We know that they were treated as merchandise commodities to be bought and sold. We know that their post-African lives were of little comfort and terrible hardships to bear. We know that some people would say that their enslaved people were servants, but that sort of sugarcoats it a little bit. No, these were people that were enslaved, and they were enslaved so that those that enslaved them were able to go about the task of writing and publishing and documenting and inventing and having a leisure life. In our own research here at Old South, we know that most of our founding members were enslavers. It could be said that this church married the culture of its age and that white people, including poor white people, uh, enslaved people wrapped in dark skin. This was common. As far as Old South is concerned, many perhaps, many of the early ministers also were enslavers. These members and ministers benefited from the stolen labor and the ruined lives of others, all while preaching the gospel. There is something that needs to be said today most of Boston's churches were racially integrated until the six, integrated in the 16th and 17th century. Blacks and whites worshiped in the same building at the same time. Even so, inside of those meeting houses, those wrapped in black skin and those wrapped in white skin were separate. They were separate, unequal each sat in very separate areas and had very different privileges. So what was it like to hear the words of the gospel and being told that you're heir to God's promises and salvation and yet to be denied? 
Racially integrated churches became segregated when blacks formed their own churches in the in 1790s and after, when slavery became legal, illegal in Massachusetts. And you ask, why would people go and start their own church? Well, there's a couple of good reasons for that. Newly freed blacks sought their own churches because they were sick and tired of being treated, amen, less than human. Having to sit in segregated seating and to be treated with white paternalism was not all right. Black churches, and when people gathered, were, they were away from the watchful eyes of white people, and so they became the center for anti-slave activities, cultural activities, economic development, and education. And last, inside of their own meeting houses, black leaders could freely articulate their own theology about racism and the exploitation of people. So here is the painful truth. When enslaving others became illegal, our white forefathers remained unwilling to afford black people the dignity and the equality that their free status afforded them by the law. I'm going to say it again. This is the painful truth. When, when enslaving others became illegal, our white forefathers remained unwilling to afford black people the dignity and the equality that their free status afforded them by the law. And what do we say to this? Sometimes the only thing we can say is, and this too. And this too. When we look history flat and square in the face. And this too. Last year I led a pilgrimage and I'm getting ready to lead another one if you all are coming. I would love for you to be there to Montgomery, Alabama, and we visited the Peace and Justice Memorial, which is the first and the only memorial in the country that honors and recognizes the over 4,000 individuals that were lynched between 1882 and 1996. The statue, the structure of this monument suspends 800 um, Corton Steel monuments to represent the counties in the country where racial terrorized lynchings took place. Each is engraved with the names of their victims from time to time, and I've been there several times as you walk around, you see people with a piece of paper because they see the name of a relative that has been lynched. Or you will walk around and you will hear people weeping. Or you will look in people's eyes and you can see, you can see that there is a river in those eyes. And just with one word, those tears will start to flow. About a half an hour after my group came out of the memorial, and there's wonderful space there where you can sit and listen, someone asked this question. Where was the church? 
Where was the church when all of this happened? Sisters and brothers, this morning, the first language of the church in a deeply broken world is not strategy. It's not reading another book. Don't tell me you read another book about racism. It's not about really going to another Black Lives rally. Even though I wish you would, I'll be at one in November in Jamaica Plain. <laughs> but the first language of the church is the language of Rachel, our ancient, our ancient ancestor, Rachel. Rachel, who's crying out, who refuses to be consoled. We should refuse to be consoled today when we look around and see the situation of our world. The prophet Jeremiah gives voice to this ancient sister of ours, Rachel, who weeps because her children have been taken away into captivity, exiled near the very spot where she is buried. A voice is heard in Raman, lamentations, bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be consoled and comforted. They are no more. Rachel's cry refuses to spiritualize, explain away, or deny the depths and the truth of pain and suffering. She rejects soothing words such as can't we just all get along sentiments? Her refusal takes serious the ruptures and the wounds of the world, as well as the deep costs and the sacrifice of saying yes to healing, saying yes to God's hope. Rachel allows the truth to shake her to her very core. It is a protest against the world as it is. It's a protest against the status quo. And her cry acknowledges, it acknowledges the pain, the brokenness, and the need for healing. She's remembered for this. Now, she doesn't cry out into a void. Can I get an amen? <laughs> And neither do we, because God is always, always inviting us to this journey of reconciliation and healing. And to be drawn into this journey is to be drawn into God's healing love and shalom. We cry out in faith, we cry out in trust to a God who is totally faithful. We cry out to a God who knows our names. And we read in Psalms, this God counts the hair on our heads. For us, we still have some hair left. <laughs> this is a God who is close, close like no other. It's a God who sits high and a God who bends low and bends low in order to be with us and to hear our hopes, to listen to our cries, and then dries our tears. This is a God who loves us 
if we would only trust. Thus, as we attend to the early black members of this church, as we name them and hold them on our hearts, remember them. The words when we are at table together is do this in remembrance of me. When we do something in remembrance of God, it's an invitation not just to that, but it's an invitation to something way bigger. It's an invitation to something that we cannot even see. It's an invitation to be in the realm of God, to be in the kingdom of God. So hold them, hold these names and remember them. And yes, we have some reckoning to do. We have some truth telling to do. We have some tears to shed. What we're going to do is we're going to call out the names of all of the enslaved members of this congregation that we know of. And in doing this, we honor them because they were denied their God-given humanity while they walked this earth. We call out their names as a way to show our respect and restore that dignity. Our enslaved members were more than an entry on a bill of sales. They were real human beings. They might have been rendered invisible to humans, but they were visible to God. Their voices were rendered inaudible to us, but they were audible to God. So I invite you to listen right now to the words of Elizabeth Alexander before we read the names. And this is a a uh, quote that is over the threshold as you go into the Peace and Justice Memorial in Montgomery, Alabama. It says, your names were never lost, each name a holy word. The rocks cry out and call each name to sanctify this place today. Ancestors, you find us still in cages, despised and disciplined you will find us still misnamed. But here, you will find us in spite of all of that. You will not find us extinct. You will find us memorized, memorialized, and storied. Let us attend to this holy task and listen to the names as they are read and I would just ask that you would hold them in your hearts and let us pray for the repose of their soul. Can we stand as we hear the names? Lydia, Juno, Essex, Essex Jr. and Toby, Sarah, Margaret, Thomas, Ebenezer, Toby, Patience, Patience Jr., Grace, Essex, and Ruth, Jane, Onesimus, and William.
Mingo, Elizabeth, Pompey, and Abigail, Worcester, Deborah, Felicia, John Myatt, Robert Dew, Tower Hill, Argillus, Cornwall, Brill, Maria, Lucy Manuel Bassett, Richard and Maria, Titus, Scipio. James, Margaret, Rose, Anne, Phyllis, Jane and Anne, Simon, Julia, Maria, Richard and George, Scipio, Dinah, Flora, Catherine, Lucy, Pompey, Thomas, Cato, Lucy, Baker, James Bow, Phyllis, Catherine, Boston, Flora, Scipio, Nancy, and Jane, Patience and Patience Jr., Bristol and James, Judith, Venus, Dinah, and Peter, Hagar, Juba, Lucas, Newton Prince, James, Fidelia, Peter, Scipio, Margaret, and Catherine Thomas, Phyllis Wheatley, David, Scipio Gunny.
Moses, Moses Jr., Judah, and Paul. Thomas, Quickly Oliver, Richard Stanley, Lucas and Phyllis Taylor, John Domeret, Elizabeth Tillinghast, Anne Elizabeth Tillinghast, and Sarah Ann Brown, Charlotte Rowe, Haley Pippins Rogers, Hester Hedge, Patience Tyler. Sarah and John Wilson, Sarah Ann Elizabeth and Charlotte Arrington Wilson, George Hart, Hannah Capen, Sophia Myler Francis, Sarah, James Ann and their three children, Simon and Peg Hammond, Scipio, Deborah. Thank you. You may be seated. 